0: Amen. Okay, I'll just turn on the other mic now. You there? Hey, look at that. So today we want to—I want to be stirring us to believe in our heart about who God says we are. And so today, the last couple of times we've met as men, uh, the first one was to just connect and engage and open up the way to talk at a heart level. Second one was to begin to get us to. Uh, see the need to gather as men and encourage one another Some of you are facing major issues in your life, major challenges And then, uh, then the third time when we met was an opportunity to just open up for ministry Now I don't want to make today as much a, a big ministry flow day We'll have an opportunity to, to go into that area at one point But today I want to lift your spirit, lift your faith, and have you standing up. So there will be times today when we will draw together to begin to really pray strongly, stand with one another, and so on. I want to put something into your mind and spirit and get you to lift up and stand up. And uh, you know there is a need for us to learn how to stand as men. It's a great need. And uh, as uh, I was just starting to share before, you know, 40 years ago when uh, we we were I was in a crisis in my life. And uh, we had, uh, I wasn't saved, and uh, the relationship with Joy was full of grief and sorrow because of difficulties in family backgrounds and religious orientation. And when we had a baby and adopted her out, at that time there was no, the law forbade any connection evermore. There was just no way you could ever make a connection with someone you adopted out. There was just, there was a brick wall there. And so when we adopted her out, at that point, there was no reason to expect we would ever see her again, but when I came to Christ not long after that, and uh, opened my heart to the Lord in repentance to acknowledge my failure, I felt God put into my heart to believe that no matter what it looked like, because of his nature of who he is, that he would be able to restore her Now you understand the law, there's no provision in law There's no way illegally it could happen It would require something to shift, and so God began to just put it in my heart to pray for her, I didn't pray every day, there were just seasons where I'd pray, and the seasons of praying for her birthed something in my heart, longing for a daughter I'd not seen, because they wouldn't let me see her, and, uh, and uh, a, a, a girl I never knew, but a girl that had part of me in her And So what it did is, uh, is the grief came up, and it birthed to me a tremendous cry for young people, cry to see them touched by God it did something in my heart. So the season when I was praying, God was doing something in me as well. And sometimes we're so busy to get—we want the answer—and we don't realize that God also wants to do something in your life through the season. And often there are hard areas and, and there are strongholds and things. And as we face a, a seemingly long delay, we don't realize God is using it to shift our heart and shift our life. And so God began to birthen me through that time of praying. Something I have been able to treasure all my life, and uh, it's been effective for me all my life. And so, when finally the time came and the law changed, can you believe it? The law just changed when she was 18 or 20 or somewhere around about then. And 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 when we heard that the law had changed, making it now possible to have the access, uh, we we sat down and wrote a letter. And and our letter in conspired within the same week of a letter from her mother, her, her new mother. Uh, Meeting our our letters crossed virtually within a week of one another, and then God made way for a wonderful restoration. And interestingly enough, the the day that she came back was my birthday. The only God now she didn't know when my birthday was, she just chose what day she's going to get on a plane come visit us. And so, God bought a restoration. But the the saddest thing is to realize we requested her to go to Christian family, but um, what happened was they didn't put her in a Christian family. And so, actually, there was an antagonism in the family to the gospel. And for the last 20 years that we've known her, she has been caught between the two families in terms of spiritual terms. Uh, and there's been a a feeling of loyalty to her her family, not to come to Christ. That coming to Christ would betray them. And then a feeling like she's being attracted and drawn by what she could see with us. And so we had to keep all pressure and attempts to manipulate out of it. Had to trust that God. Would do this work in the right time. We prayed for her. She had uh, boyfriends that were just not—they were just not going to be the right ones for her. We prayed for her, and each of those situations broke up. And then finally, would you believe it? She rang us up and said, "I found a guy that I really feel this is the one for me." And would you believe it? He's a Christian, and uh, <laughs> he's been filled with the Holy Spirit and had a miracle healing in his life. And uh, so he's been a balance in her life. And this uh, this Easter, without any effort, they just said. We want to come to Christ, and they're both at our table uh, in the lounge We're able to pray and lead them to Christ, and the next day on Easter Sunday have a baptism in the pool at home, and to baptise them God can do amazing things, it took 40 years So I want to encourage you that if you can be going for a day or two, or a week or two, don't quit, you know? It doesn't really matter how long it takes, if God puts the person in your heart Then it's because he intends to do something Your part's just to pray and hold on, and not let the person go out of your heart The moment you let the people go out of your heart, then God moving on them stops So while you hold people in your heart, while you don't let fear or grief or frustration or discouragement cause you to let go of the person, as you pray, you make room for God to move so it's great, absolutely wonderful, and uh, we're just delighted. Now they're in a great church and fired up for God, and they're just, quite, they're just like changed overnight. Absolutely amazing. God can do it. Amen? Tell someone, God can do, can do it. God can do it. God can do it. Okay. Well, let's get ready to start today then. And uh, I want you to open up your Bible in Joel chapter 3, and I'm going to be talking about kings. and I want to stir something in you about your kingly calling. And uh, what it might look like, and uh, and 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 some practical ways of standing up into that kingly calling. And uh, so we'll, we'll pick it up and start off first of all in uh, in Joel chapter three. I believe we're in a time when God is really stirring us for a change, and particularly to strengthen and move the church much more strongly. In the harvest of souls, you know, we've been very strongly in prophetic and healing restoration. There is a need for us as a church. To engage people in our community in meaningful ways and see them safe So notice what it says in verse 9 Proclaim this among the nations Prepare for war Prepare for war Now notice this Wake up the mighty men Let all the men of war draw near Let them come up, beat their plowshares Into swords, pruning hooks into spears And let the weak say, I am strong So you notice that God is speaking here about warfare In fact, the Bible makes it very clear in the last days Wars will increase Conflicts will increase Difficulties will increase And in the midst of that God will stir his church So this is a prophetic call to us A prophetic call to the church A prophetic call to you Prepare war War means that there is some enemy That has possessed something that belongs to you And you are determined to step up And so God says Wake up the mighty men now here's the interesting thing he doesn't say that they need to be made into mighty men it says they are mighty men it's just their condition is one of being asleep you are a mighty man of god you are a mighty man of god the Spirit of God is inside you That conquering spirit that raised Christ from the dead is in you So whatever your experience that you're walking through right now Whatever matter what defeats or what struggles What difficulties, what, what setbacks you think you have God's view of you is You are a mighty man of war You just need to be woken up And there are many causes for us to go to sleep I'm not talking about a natural Wake up in a natural sleepiness We're talking about a spiritual slumber that sits over people And they live and walk in apathy No passion, no fire, no vision No strong determination to make an impact with their life They're just cruising along spiritually asleep That's the condition of much of the church Could be your condition too Today is wake up Open your eyes and see There's some things out there for you to stand up against. There's some things out there God wants you to accomplish. The first thing is an internal waking up. I want us to go and look in Judges chapter 6, and you'll see exactly this kind of deal. We're going to see a mighty man. He doesn't look like a mighty man. He looks the opposite to a mighty man. But God sees the potential in you. He sees what possibilities there are in you. When God looks at you, He looks at you from your destiny point of view. When God looks at you, He looks at you... From his purpose point of view, so he sees what he's designed you to become. You may not see it at all. In fact, you may be living completely defeated and completely shut down. So, have a look here in uh, Judges chapter six and uh, verse eleven. Now, the angel Lord came and sat under the oak tree, which is an orfar, which belonged to Joash the Abizarite, and his son Gideon threshed wheat at the wine press in order to hide it from the Midianites. So. Here's this man, Gideon, and Gideon is a mighty man of God, but he is asleep. Fear has induced sleep, spiritual slumber. The spiritual slumber is where you're just insensitive. You know when you're sleeping, you're not aware what's going on around you? Spiritual sleep is spiritually, you're totally insensitive and unaware what's happening around you. So stuff is going on, and you don't know it, you don't see it. It happens because you're asleep. When you're asleep, thieves come into your house and rob, because you don't see them come So when you're spiritually asleep, things happen in your life, and you're not aware what they are, why they're there, or even how they're happening You just get frustrated And So this man here is spiritually asleep, fear, unresolved fear in your life will cause you to shut down your gift and spiritually slumber You're not awake, not alive, not alert, not functioning strongly Disappointment can cause you to shut down your gift as well I've been through these things Grief, grief can shut you down and turn you into spiritually. when people are full of grief, they go blind They just don't see spiritually Actually, I was reading an article about uh, children from Romania, the orphans from Romania Now, the orphans in Romania were deeply neglected children after the Iron Curtain came down and the Americans got in, they felt deep compassion for these orphans and uh, the orphans had had no physical contact. They'd been totally neglected, just barely fed enough food to survive. And so many Americans took them back to America. And what they found was within a short time that many of the kids developed major problems. Much of it was, many of them went blind and many of them went deaf. And they couldn't understand. They realized it was the deep neglect and the wounding and grief left in the child's spirit resulted in physical manifestations in their body. And they saw a connection between grief. An emotional pain, and actually an impact on vision, the ability to see Spiritually, when we have grief, we don't see The disciples on the road to Emmaus were full of grief and disappointment Jesus came to them, they didn't see him So we live in a day when people don't see much They see what's happening, but they don't see much, spiritual perspective now Here's this man here, and I notice he's in a place of fear, threshing wheat and Now he has an encounter with God, and I want you to see What the encounter with God? The encounter with God is to wake up a mighty man to find out who he is. Now remember, he doesn't see himself as a mighty man. He sees himself as fearful, afraid, ineffective, struggling, just doing the best he can to make ends meet, trying to cope and survive in a difficult time. He's living in a time of economic and spiritual and national oppression, and in the middle of it, he's shut down as a person. But notice what God says to him the angel Lord appeared to him. The Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. Isn't it interesting how God sees this frightened, timid person as being a mighty man of valor? Now you see one another and you see yourself in a certain way, but when God looks at you, he sees mighty man of valor. Of course, in your mind and heart, you may not agree with that. And of course, that's exactly what happened. You see. His perspective of himself was quite different He did not see himself as a king He did not see himself ruling So, well, if God's with me, where's all the miracles? So, his unbelief rose up straight away, and the angel ignores it The angel said, Go! You've got a commission into the nation Go in this might of yours, you'll save Israel from the hand of the Midianites have I not sent you? So he's still talking to him like he's talking to a king who's asleep. And the sleepy king is answering out of the unbelief in his heart. Oh, how can I do that? I'm the least of my family. I'm the least. My, tribe. my tribe's the least tribe. And he starts to come up with a whole lot of excuses about who he is and where he is. I'm poor. My family's poor. I've got no education. We're the least. I'm the youngest. I'm the least in the family. All the stuff is coming up. And the angel just ignores it completely. Because God sees who you really are. And the world hasn't seen who you really are. No one has seen who you really are yet. You say, there's a lion there's a king inside you. But until you see yourself as God sees you, you will live like He didn't argue with God and live in the place of fear. It took quite some work with God in him. To get him out of the place of fear to the place of standing up Do you know what Gideon did? He actually rose up and delivered the nation He became a king in the nation A judge and a king, a ruler He established the dominion and kingdom of God in his nation in that day God saw what he could do God saw who he really was It takes faith to see who people really are We usually just see people through the filter of our experiences with them We look at ourselves through our past, our present The struggles we have, and we don't see very much at all But God sees you, and He wants you to know today you are a king and You need to see I'm a king, and how a king thinks, how a king walks, how a king speaks How a king carries himself Many men today carry themselves very defeated, they don't carry themselves like a king at all So he was a king, he was was a king who was concealed and I believe today there are many kings who are concealed That this church, and this city, and this area has not seen what you are capable of You're concealed I don't know what's concealed you uh, Maybe you're asleep, and you need waking up And today I want to stir you to wake up, and to rise up So you begin to see differently, and hope comes in that you could do something quite different So he addressed them as a king And notice and addressing him as a king Kings always have a territory Have something that's theirs, their kingdom Kings always have a land Kings always have an assignment from God They've got something they're called to do And you notice that that's all that the angel focuses on Focuses on declaring who he is And his assignment and what he's called to do See, if we don't know who we are And what we're called to do Our life is very, very weak and ineffective must know who I am in Christ I'm a king, I'm a king, I'm a son of the living God I'm a king representing the king's kingdom I'm called to advance that kingdom called to make an influence I need to learn how to live like a king, think like a king, speak like a king So kings have territories and kings have wars to fight You are where you are because of the choices you made yesterday And I would hope that you would make different choices today, and begin to push through whatever resists you Sure, you look and you see all the financial turmoil, and it's affected you very deeply But I want you today to look to the spiritual roots and the spiritual source, and start to think and work differently to what you've done And I'll share with you some keys I, I know they work I also know that most people don't persist long enough to get the fruit and I would encourage you to persist, and I share you some of the things that will help you so, uh, so kings have wars to fight So there's no doubt that you have battles to fight Some of you are already going through battles right now I know some of you, some of it's with family Some of it's in marriage Some of it's with finances Some of it's in your character Some of it's just in trying to break through in your whole work area it's All of us have got battles to fight Let me make it real clear If we're a king, we have a territory We have battles to fight, we have an assignment from God, and it's the same for all of us We're all in the same boat Jesus called the King King. Notice in Revelations 19, uh, Revelations chapter 19. So we see God waking up a King. Now, what you have to understand is many times when we look at Jesus, we often he's presented as a gentle, loving shepherd. So if you think of Jesus, you tend to think of him as a shepherd. And I want to just shift your thinking. It's true he's a shepherd, but if you've only got one side of the coin, you haven't got the whole coin. You've got an imbalanced picture. What we need to understand also about Jesus is He is a King, and He's a King who fights He's not some gentle, meek and mild, and you know, turn the cheek the other way, where people beat up on you That's, that's kind of like a, a, a limited concept of Christianity many people have So you've got to actually get the whole truth of God See Jesus, uh, it says, the law came by Moses, but grace That's gentleness, and power, and strength, and the life of God, and truth came by Jesus Christ We've got to see that while Jesus is the Saviour, He's also coming as the judge We need to see that not only is He the lamb, but He's also coming as a lion When He next comes, the Bible tells us He comes to make war Now He doesn't suddenly have a character change The Jesus that's coming to make war is the Jesus who is a warrior, who makes war, and has always made war from one end of the Bible to the other He's not suddenly going to come and change who He is Turn up, and He's angry, and ticked off with everyone so He's going to come, and He's going to beat everyone up, and put the sinners in hell Burn up the demons, and whatever it's not, That's not what it is Jesus is unchanging He's the same yesterday, today and forever, so not only does He come and demonstrate a lamb nature, He also is a lion, and you've got to have both sides of that If you only have the lamb nature, you get a weak, ineffective, wussy Christianity You've got to see He's also a lion, and He's got a roar, and He's got claws And you'll find in the Bible, it'll talk about those things too So let's have a look at it in Revelation chapter 19, so this Jesus who we serve, who's in us Is a king who wages war Verse 11 I saw heaven opened Looking prophetically A white horse and he that sat in him was called faithful and true And in righteousness Notice this He judges and makes war Look at that His eyes were like a flame of fire And his head were many crowns Had a name written that no one himself knew except himself Clothed with a robe dipped in blood That's that's a man of war it's warrior stuff, see? and his name is called the Word of God. And notice this: the armies of heaven followed him. The armies of heaven—it's not just talking about angels; these are the saints of God. We are part of the armies of heaven. Say, we're called to follow him, and we're going to follow him. We're going to war. It says now, out of his mouth goes a sharp sword that he should strike the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. His name is King of Kings. Lord of lords, He's a King of kings Jesus has a kingly nature So not only is He gentle, shepherd, loving, we've had a lot of that, we know about that kind, and He heals the brokenhearted, those kind of areas, we're focused somewhat on that I want us to look at the kingly nature of this God we serve He is truly a king I identified a number of things First of all, He's from a line of kings When Jesus was born they traced his ancestry back, he came from the greatest king in Israel's history, King David, King Solomon, all down the line, he came from a line of kings, raw blood Second thing is, he was born a king, they came seeking for him in Matthew 2.2, who is he who is born king of the Jews? In other words, he was born a king, he was born a king, his whole identity was that of a king, someone called to rule Uh, Third thing is What was his message First thing it says He opened up his words and began to preach What did he preach Behold The kingdom of heaven is at hand So his message right through When he first started Right through to when he rose from the dead He preached the kingdom He preached about the kingdom of heaven Coming into the earth Through kings uh, Being able to bring it forth We'll show you some keys how to do that Fantastic, love to see you doing it, love to see you persevere and see what happens Third thing is, he demonstrated the kingdom He demonstrated the kingdom He demonstrated a whole lot of ways First of all, he declared that's who he was When Pilate challenged him in John 18, 37 He said, you say I'm a king, it's true, but my kingdom is not of this world So he admitted he was a king and Not only that, he had a kingly assignment He said, I've come Uh, to do the will of my Father, John 6.38 I've come not to please myself, i come to do what's pleasing to my Father, I have an assignment So he was a king, he knew he was a king, he knew he had an assignment, On that, he had a territory in Matthew 15 verse 24, and that's what we're going to look at as the territory you have What is your territory? He said, I'm not called to go all over the world, I'm called to the lost tribe of the house of Israel He knew exactly his assignment, physically and geographically what his assignment was He constantly thought and acted as a king, and you find it's over and over There's a water fight in Hebrews 2 verse 14 and 15 It said, He destroyed him who had the power of death, who held people, who through fear of death were held in bondage all their life He destroyed him! See, so he's a king He said, I'm a king He was born a king He pronounced and spoke about a kingdom And he said, said, "Uh, uh, I've come to advance the kingdom of heaven isn't it amazing. And so once you start to look at it and see it, you see everything is about a king. He said, "I've got a territory, it's called Israel, and my assignment is three and a half years in Israel at this time. After that, my assignment increases. But I'll work it through kings. So his assignment was Israel. Our assignment is the world. To advance that assignment, you have to become kingly in thinking, kingly in attitude, kingly in how you walk. And and think differently. There's a war to fight. There's a battle to fight. So every one of us has a territory assigned individually. And as a church, we have a corporate territory. And all of us are to stand as kings, live as kings, think as kings, walk as kings, and learn how to speak and act like a king and advance a kingdom. Otherwise, you're just looking for Jesus to help you out and you miss the plot. See, so now Jesus engaged in warfare as a king. So I'll just list for you some of the things that showed he was absolutely confrontational and warrior like There's no weakness about him Yes, I know he surrendered his life on the cross Do You know how much strength it takes inside you, and in character, to let someone mistreat you and hold your peace, and not try and defend yourself? That takes huge strength of character Do You know what it takes to, to suffer and to lay your life down consciously, and people are abusing you, and you're determined to hold on to your course and your purpose, because you know that this is going to benefit people, oh that takes strength and courage See there's nothing weak about what Jesus did There was nothing even weak about us praying In Hebrews uh, uh, somewhere around about chapter 4 it said, Strong crying, and tears, and strong prayer I can't understand the church So passive all around the world. It doesn't make any sense to me. It doesn't even line up at all with the Word of God. Fervent, passionate, strong, assertive prayer. Jesus said, The kingdom of heaven suffers violence. It advances when forceful, kingly men believe God and stand up in the midst of difficulties. You're such a man. You're a king. Maybe you sleep, but you are a king. King, when he falls asleep, when he wakes up, he's still a king, even when he's sleeping, he's a king So maybe it doesn't look so good in some of your lives or some of our situations, but you're still a king If God can wake you up, lots of things will change, and that's what today's about, helping you wake up So let's just have a look at how he engaged in warfare, in Luke 4.35 he confronted demons Jesus was never afraid to address demons, he spoke directly to them, and just vanquished them virtually Be gone, a lot of the church today we we'll never clue about them. I go into Australia, there's so little understanding of demons over there. Get requests regularly to go over there to teach them about demons, how to deal with demons. It's like the church is blind, actually, it's asleep in that area. Doesn't understand the nature of warfare. Jesus had no trouble. He knew that what lay behind many of the problems people had was a demonic realm that influenced the nation, blinding them and holding them in bondage. And he came with a warrior spirit, and a demon stuck its head up. Till The lion roared. You find it right through the Bible, right through Jesus' ministry. Whenever those demons roused their heads, the lion roared at them. See, he, you notice, that's what I'm trying to get you to see that there's a roar in Jesus. Demon manifests in the church, guy starts yelling out, screaming above his head. What does he do? Be quiet! Just shuts them down. That's a kingly dominion. Shut it down. See? When the religious people, he went into a church place and everyone's all religious there and they've got no heart, no compassion for the poor. Jesus hates injustice. He's a God of justice. See? And so we should hate injustice as well. Not the injustice is done to ourselves so much as the injustice done to others. I saw a man there with a withered hand. He says he looked around being grieved There's no compassion in the body that's supposed to represent him And so he aggressively. do you know what he did? He provoked the religious spirits He deliberately did something that would get right in their face He said to the man with the withered hand Stand up, come on out here He said now stretch out your hand And he healed him he, what he, you understand it was not just an act of compassion to heal him, it was an act of a king confronting a religious system lacking compassion, and they were furious You'll find if you start to look for this, you'll see the kingly nature of Jesus everywhere He had no trouble picking a fight He, he deliberately picked fights sometimes See I can see you thinking about this, because most of us get such a weak side of Jesus, we don't see the kingly side He didn't come here to be nice to people He came to advance a kingdom, and there were some enemies to that kingdom that had to be vanquished, and He had no hesitation having to go None whatsoever Think about that In Matthew 23 verse 13, He stood up to the religious leaders eventually This is what he said, now you've got to understand, this is quite kingly stuff You're just hypocrites, you don't enter into the things of God yourself, and you stop others coming in It's pretty kingly aggressive talk against religiosity that doesn't help anyone See there's a lot of this in the Bible I'll give you another one, Uh, there's another one there Um, I've got heaps And John 2.14 is the obvious one, comes in and he looks and the whole church has got a, a money rip off system and that you know, People come in and they say, you've got to make an offering but you've got to have it now, currency, so then uh, we'll do the deal and we'll change, you can only change the currency here, and so they, had, they were doing currency trading in the church You know currency trading, can make a lot of money or lose a lot of money, but they were doing currency trading in the church, and they were skimming everybody, and this was part of the religious system So what did the king do when he came into his father's house? Remember he is a king, but he's under instructions, he's a servant king Advancing his father's kingdom And notice this, now this is not some weak wishy-washy thing He stood there, looked around, saw the whole thing And his anger got stirred up, and he asked his father what to do And he said, Son, I want you to clean the show up He didn't come and preach a nice message He looked around for some pieces of rope And he took a bit of time, and he plaited them all up till he made a nice, strong, effective whip See, this is a king. See, this is contrary to a lot of the way people see Jesus. Remember, there's two sides to him, so you need both sides to get the whole picture. If you just get this side, you'll miss that there's a the tender compassion and where to hold the two. He's a lamb and a lion, a lamb and a lion, a lamb and a lion. See, he's a king and a servant. He's got to, you've got to always hold things, the truths, in balance. Then he went in there, and you can imagine what he looked like. They must have been absolutely terrified of him. He came in there. And He began to whip the living daylights out of everyone who was dealing in currency in the church now, I know some of you might be dealing with currency, but it's not, it's not about that It's about ripping it off in the church It was actually about skimming off and misrepresenting God to people and He's whipped a lot of them He whipped it, turned over the money, turned over the tables The money ran everywhere, the people ran everywhere, and he was furious And He pursued them all, and rove them right out of the place That must have been something to see you don't have many messages on that do you? Because we've got a nice Jesus, he's too nice See so you've got to keep the two in mind That's why people love Jesus in a manger They don't like the risen King coming again That's who he is He rose from the dead, mighty and victorious He is the coming King He'll come to war He'll come to challenge his enemies, to advance his kingdom And he wants now to wake up the mighty men, wake up the men of God, wake up the mighty men, of which you are one, you are one of them So the thing is interesting about Jesus we see that kind of aggressive assertive kingly thing, but the interesting thing was he is a servant king, Now that kind of twists your head around, because it's hard to understand what a servant king would even look like when we're not used to thinking that way You tend to think kings, you think what I've just told you, all that sort of aggressive, assertive, conquering, dominion thing So what is a servant king like? Just sort of a bit hard to kind of put it all together, but that actually is is what he is So the thing is, at the core of his being, he had answered the question for himself, who am I trying to please? Every one of us needs to answer that question, who am I living to please? If you're living to please God Then you have developed the heart of a servant, you're on the way If you're trying to please yourself, you've got issues to deal with If you try to please people, you've got issues to deal with All of us today need to decide, I'm going to live our life to please God If we live our life to please God, we will upset people on the way So, So pleasing God doesn't always please people In all the steps, the big steps I made in my life The ones I hoped most for support from were my wife's family, who was against me because I wasn't a Christian and My own family, who I thought were for me But when it came to spiritual matters, every major spiritual decision There was a resistance and opposition to it So it's the thing you just got to recognise and handle And the key thing at the end of the day was Will I please God, or will I please the people I really want to have them like me? And And I tell you now, men, you have to decide who I'm going to please If you're going to please your wife, you'll end up compromising all the way If you're going to please yourself, you'll end up with all kinds of issues in your life We have to decide to please the King Because we're all going to stand before him, all going to give account of our life You're going to ask not what you did to please everyone, but what you did to please him And that's the core thing Can I live my life solely to please him? Second thing that Jesus was very clear about was his assignment Exactly what he was called to do he knew exactly what he was here to do. So you find the servant king operating in John 13. John chapter 13. John chapter 13. So we've looked first of all at waking up the mighty man. We're looked now look at looking at Jesus being a king and seeing the warrior side of him. Now just looking at the servant side of him. And how does that work out? So we'll show you how it works out in in, in two distinctly different ways. So, John chapter 13. Now, before the feast of Passover, when Jesus knew his hour has come, he should depart from the world to his Father, having loved his owner in the world, and he loved them to the end. Verse 3. Now, knowing the Father had given everything into his hands, he had come from God and was going to God, he rose from the supper, took a, laid aside his garments, took a towel, and girded himself, poured water into a basin, began to wash the disciples' feet, wipe them with the towel and with which he was girded. And Peter said, How come you wash my feet? He said, he said, what, you, what I'm doing you don't understand, but you will know after this Oh, you never wash my feet If I don't wash your feet, you can't have a part with me Well they're not only my feet, but my hands and head also He said, no, the one who's bathed only needs to wash his feet He's completely clean, you're clean, but not all of you And when he finished washing, verse 12, taking his garments, he sat down he said, Do you know what I've done? He said, you call me teacher and Lord Now let's just replace the word Lord with the word King You call me King and it is true, that's who I am So he did not deny being king, but what he did say is the nature of this king is different to what you're used to The nature of this kingdom, and this king, is to serve, and so he said what I've done now what did he do? He took on the role of the lowest servant in the house, the lowest job in the house, clean the feet of all the people who come in, because they're all dirty walking around, so they have a and wash their feet, clean their feet, get them all the time That was the lowest job He said, I took the lowest job to come near to people, and look at the mess in their life, because of their walk, and minister to them He said, this is what my kingdom is like there, Yes there's a kingly aspect of ruling Dominion, decrees, confrontation, setting judicial things right. There's also another aspect of that kingdom, and he says, and it's like this where you get into a person's life to where all their messes, because the feet speak of a person's walk, they're a picture of the life you're living and the mess and the dirt that comes into your life just because we live life. He says, This king and my kings go into people's life to clean up the mess that they have made unwittingly. In their journey through life, that's my kingdom. Now you start to see, because some guys kind of get in their mind a, a big thing from a wrong family pattern of just being the boss at the home, and everyone runs around them and serves them. He said, "No, no, no, no. This kingdom is not about the king being served. This kingdom is about the king serving. It's because he serves, he has such authority, because that's the nature of this new kingdom. And so he said." In the kingdoms of the world, Matthew chapter 20 He said in the kings of the world, everyone wants positions and, and authority, and they want to rule it over He said, my kingdom's not like that He said, if you want to be great in my kingdom or if you want to grow in rank and stature, or if you want to raise the kingdom level, the kingly level, you must learn to serve people It's a fantastic thing Serving means getting involved in their life and helping them So how do you fit together these two kingly aspects, the servant king Number one, this is how you do it Number 1 as a king you need to stand up and get and give very clear vision and direction who you are and where you're going if you're leading in a marriage direct and give leadership to the marriage leading in a family give leadership the kingly part is to stand up and to give clear direction so a king will stand up and give direction that's part of the kingly thing so a king must stand As the king and in charge, giving leadership, giving direction. But then he acts as a servant to accomplish a whole number of things. And here's some of the things that 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 a king does. I'll I'll list them. There may be others, but I just list four things that must happen. Number one is a king serves, and he actually acts as a kingly role by spiritual warfare, prayer. See, Jesus said in Luke 22, he said to Peter, he said, "The devils contended to to take you out. I've stood for you." make sure you don't fail, and your faith doesn't fail So a king acting as a servant, when you're praying as a king, you're acting and decreeing and speaking and confronting demons, you're also serving You're ensuring that those in your realm of influence succeed So one act of a king is warfare, warfare is an act of a king Another thing, an act of a king is a king listens to people with compassion Kings have compassion on the people in their kingdom now you find that in Rehoboam, in, uh, in 1 Kings 12 verse 6-7, to there's a king called Rehoboam came to the throne, and uh, he's, uh, they've been having a tough time under Solomon, because Solomon's heart hardened, and so the people came to him and said, can you lighten the load a bit? And so he listened to the older men, the old men said a very interesting statement They said, if you will listen to this people with your heart, and hear them, and serve them they will become your servants now that is the best bit of wisdom a king could ever get If you will listen from your heart to the needs of people, and help and serve them, then they will serve you This is the kingdom of God at work This is servant king operating, but he listened to the young man and said No, nah, I've got to be tough, if these people here wanting the load lift on, tell them you'll double the load See, and he lost, he lost 10 out of the 12 tribes he ruled Because he didn't adopt the servant king approach A tragic thing to lose so much, they just said get lost, we're not having a king like that over us, get out of here, we're leaving So ten tribes left, that financially, economically is a disaster And from that point on the kingdom divided, and there were huge problems ever since that time Israel was at its height in the glory days of Solomon, but his son, because of that foolishness in misunderstanding what it meant to be a king, thinking you just rule over people and tell them what to do He actually lost everything, they just rebelled against him. that The principle is there, if you have compassion on the people that are in the realm of your kingdom, and listen to their needs, and serve them, then they in turn will receive you in your kingly role, and respond to you Very, very powerful So you understand as a king in the home You will need to stand up and give vision and direction You will need to stand up and contend in spiritual warfare, but you must have compassion, and hear the hearts of your wife and children, and find what the needs are, and minister to the needs Kings have compassion, and so compassion is a crucial part of it So the third thing a king does is serve and meet others You've got to model serving, so a king models meeting the needs of others, helping others getting engaged with them, and helping them where they are One of the things that I want us to see as men is to begin to, once we've started to grow in the connecting together, and grow in the success of the groups, is to begin to start to get a vision of how you can then as a team begin to help people within the framework of the church, help people such as uh, single parents, uh, kids who haven't got a dad There's a whole range of ways where if we can get men to stand up as kings, they can begin to start to then extend the influence over the next generation, and there's such a need to do it I read an article, this is just a stunning article, and it was in Kenya I think it was and then one of the game parks there, one of the areas there, the elephants grew in numbers There were just so many of them, they didn't know what to do they couldn't feed them all. So what they did was, they killed off all the old elephants They just went in there, the hunters, and killed off all the old elephants, and just left the young ones, because they had more life left in them, and so they thought they had solved the problem of uh, the whole the elephant herd in there, and what they found happened was a different problem happened. After a little while, these young elephants, young male elephants, began to get very very stroppy, and they began to attack people and destroy property. And so they 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 got the the, the worst of them and killed them off. And still it kept happening. So they did an, a test of them, and they found that the testosterone levels were excessively high in these young males. And after a long period of failure at trying to deal with this thing, they realized this that when the older elephants the older bull elephants were taken out the of the, flo- uh, of the uh, and no longer influenced the young ones, the young ones, their testosterone levels rose up and they become completely dysfunctional and wild. So what they did was they then bought in some older elephants, and eventually the whole herd settled down, and the young ones learned to model off the older ones and the whole thing changed again It's documented tests, that just a documented situation I've read it in a number of places So just looking at it, yet we have a culture now of young men who are out of control with high testosterone levels There's a the whole issues of sex before marriage The alcohol thing, the car thing, the, the area of uh, premature pregnancies and drugs and all these kind of things These are young men out of control because there's no older men to model and influence them as king There is a great need in this hour for you to arise, far bigger than you realise It's just you've got to be woken up to see the need And so finally a king empowers others, king empowers others Jesus' vision was that others would succeed, and so he he set his whole life up that when he left he was succeeded by men who would carry his mission So that's what a servant king looks like I could tell you a lot more, but we'll just leave it at that, that's enough You are a king it's inside you. You may be asleep to it. You may not be awake to what God wants to do you through you, but you are a king. Why? Because you've got the DNA of Jesus Christ in you. You were born from above, and the Bible says, He has made us, Revelation 1.5, priests and kings to our God, and we shall reign on earth. So it's here and now that we've got to learn to act like a king. Second thing we saw is that right from the beginning of Jesus' ministry to the end Do you realize when He died on the cross, they put a label on Him? This is Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews Right through His ministry, He modeled what it's like to be kingly Strong spirit, faith, confrontation, uh, speaking directly to spirit powers uh, giving direction, he spoken to the storms, spoken to the trees, spoken to the atmosphere Spoken to circumstances, spoken to sick bodies He acted just like a king making decrees He also demonstrated that this kingdom is a serving kingdom, where the kings who rule Rule because they have a serving heart, and their influence comes out of serving Jesus gave his life serving, he actually laid his life down, that's a courageous act you know, you saw that movie with Mel Gibson in it, what was it called, Braveheart And uh, I've got that video clip I downloaded right there at the very end He's there laid out in front of the King of England, and laid out there And uh, they've got these tortures all around, and they, they stretch, hang him, and stretch him And then start to disembowel him, and he just cries out, Freedom! It's a king, in the midst of pain, he's stuck with his vision right to the very end and served right to the very end. And so God's calling us to be kings, great kings. Gideon, when God said to him, You mighty man of Allah, began to argue. And he kept arguing. His assignment was given to him Go, I'm with you, there's a nation to shift. And when he finished his arguing, he did this. He came and built an altar to the Lord. I don't know today God is speaking in, "You are a king. You may be asleep, but you are a king." God is wanting to waken you up, and as you become waken up and stop arguing, reasoning, and with all the reasonings, because of who I am, my giftings, my lack of training, my lack of finding, my lack of this, my lack of this, or just stop all the arguments. And when you finish all the arguments, accept you are a king, you have an assignment from God and build an altar to just dedicate your life to. You. This is a time for men to make these kind of decisions. Time for us to be kings. And you can always tell when someone's a king. You see it in the serving, but just feel it in their spirit that they're standing up and they live and walk like a king and talk like one. Later on we'll get you talking like one. But why don't we just in our heart's now musician if you just come on up? We just finished this session. I want to pray and lay hands on everyone. May I get to do it later on in the day. I'd like us just to come. If God really was speaking to you today, to come and just Lift your hands to the Lord, and surrender, and put in, build an altar in your heart Lord, I am starting to see who I am I have lived below this whole thing, oh my goodness Lord, I need to be woken up to the reality of who I am, and the assignment you have for me Lord, I need you to awaken me, I'm coming right now to make an offering of my life Present who I am, my giftings, my talents, what I own, what I have, I'm coming to lay it before you and say, God, come and touch my life today." Why don't we just do that right now as we just worship the Lord. it's us come and let's build an altar to the Lord in our hearts. You know, I'm the first up here today. And I'm the first here. I'm wanting to build an altar. God's been speaking to me very strongly about remembering who I am, remembering the things that God has said, remembering the words of God, and standing up like a king to assert certain minute. Let's just come right now. You don't need anyone to pray for you. You may want to kneel. You may want to stand, lift your hands, whatever is comfortable for you. You may want to lie on the ground. I don't care what you do. It's just we want to build an altar to the Lord. And Gideon came, and when he built that altar to the Lord, God answered with fire from heaven. And our prayer today is as you build an altar, that God will hear you musicians, if you could just lead us in worship and we're just going to pray and just worship God and build an altar in our heart for the Lord right now. Father, I just come before you as a senior leader in base City. Father, I build an altar in my heart to you again. Father, I hear you speaking about kingship. Waking up the mighty man. So, Father, I come and I lay my gifts of life, talents, abilities, experiences. I lay it all down at the altar. And I ask, Father, for fresh fire. Fresh fire. Fresh fire from heaven. Fresh Holy Ghost fire. fresh Holy Ghost come on man let's reach out to God reach out to our